All right, let's stand and take our Bibles tonight, if you would. And I'd like you to go to 2 Kings chapter 4, and we're going to go to verse 42. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 42. Good seeing all of you here. Some of our discipleship classes are making their way in, and that's an exciting thing tonight. So good to see all of you here this evening. Uh, if your neighbor next to you doesn't have a Bible, or specifically a King James Bible, share your Bible with them. And we're going to be in a good Bible study tonight from 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 to 44. All right, as you're there and finding your way, follow as I read this evening. And there came a man from Baal Shalisha, and he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What? Should I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat. And shall leave thereof. So he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Tonight we're looking at an Old Testament passage, which you might say is the precursor to the, uh, the, the passage of the scripture in the New Testament, dealing with the feeding of the multitudes. We find a story here, not of a little boy, but of a man, a grown man, who brings an offering to the man of God. And this offering consists of some barley loaves, and some uh, ears of corn, not barley, barley loaves and fish, but some barley loaves and some ears of corn. And uh, it was only enough for 20 people to eat. But there were 100 men that needed to eat. And uh, we find here a man, a servitor, this was Gehazi, I believe, who looked at this circumstance and situation and says, this is not possible. And yet God provided in this, this situation during time of famine, God provided, and there was more than enough left over. And tonight we want to look at a topic entitled, Let God Stretch Your Dollars. And I want to encourage you tonight as we're in a giving and building campaign, and, and our church has been giving from day one, from January 21st, 1999, when the church first started. We've been in this giving campaign, this mode for 19 years. I want to just encourage you tonight as we consider this matter of stewardship and giving, how the Lord enables us to see the stretching of His dollars for his glory. But we have to be involved in watching what God does on our behalf as he works through that. So I just want you to indulge you tonight, have you indulge me tonight as we look at this passage of scripture and just study from the standpoint God's method of financial planning for the Christian. Now, Father, bless the word tonight. We know it will not return to you void. We pray it will accomplish its purpose. And even as we talk about bread tonight, we thank you that Jesus Christ, your son, is the bread of life. And we pray that every soul be fed with that bread from heaven. And God, just as you did for the Israelites for 40 years, as you gave them that man a day after day and day after day and you gave them water from the rock we pray this evening that manna would come down from heaven manna that would be sufficient for our souls and meet our need father give us a hunger tonight that we would be just like uh, what jesus said in matthew 5 8 there blessed are they that thirst and hunger after righteousness for they shall be filled and may there be a great thirst we have have every christian tonight new and season, Lord, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. Bless our study tonight. If someone here tonight's not saved, I pray before they leave tonight, they put their faith and trust in Christ and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. May they get saved tonight. May you help us tonight to believe that you can take care of our resources. Help us tonight to believe that, Lord, you can meet our needs. And help us tonight to believe that, God, you can take care of your work here at Heritage Baptist Church. Bless our faith, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you are value spenders and try to stretch your dollars? 
You know, you look forward to those sales papers that come on Mondays and Tuesdays or maybe subscribe to where it comes to you by email or text messages where you read about those things. And my wife and I kind of zone in on one particular newspaper a week. We like, kind of like to see what's on sale at Sprouts and kind of zone in that there's something we enjoy looking for. And of course, she knows the numbers better than I do. I look at it. I think the sale is probably pretty good there, you know, but but, uh, you know, I think a lot of us tonight, we're, we're, we're in some sense, we're, we're value, we're value buyers and we try to stretch our dollars as much as we can. And I don't think there's anybody here who disagrees the fact that if you can get more with your dollar, you absolutely want to do this as best as possible there. And, and our study tonight is about a man who put his dollars to work in God's work and he watches God stretch it. We're in this series we've entitled Kings and Prophets and are studying through the books of First King and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles and going outside that maybe to Isaiah as well there too and look at the lives of kings and prophets that have a, that, that can impact our lives. And as we look at tonight, we're looking again at another miracle of the, of the prophet Elisha. This is miracle number nine. I hope you're marking your Bibles. We work our way through it. This is miracle number nine. We skipped over miracle number eight that's found in verse 38. We'll come back to that another time because I felt like just because we're at in our church calendar that I wanted to cover this matter concerning stewardship and giving here that's found in this passage of scripture. Here. This ninth miracle, as we said, teaches us how God stretches dollars for us now. Now, notice tonight we're going to look in this passage. We're dealing with uh, three characters tonight. We're looking at this unknown man whose name is not given. He comes from an area called Baal Shalisha. Baal Shalisha is about a distance of 10 to 15 miles from Gilgal. Elisha is in Gilgal. In Gilgal, as we saw back in 2 Kings 2, is a school of the prophets. And uh, Gilgal means a cutting. It has the idea of something that's cutting. And the first mention of Gilgal happens to be over in the book of Joshua when there was uh, there needed to be a cutting away. And so this place here at Gilgal would be another testing place, another proving place where God would work in the lives of the, of the sons of the prophets there. And then we see a man who's, who's not given, his, we're not given his name, but we can imply that this may have been Gehazi. This is a man called the Servitor, the Servant of the Lord, who was somewhat uh, doubtful or skeptical about this whole matter. Tonight, we're going to see a matter about biblical stewardship. The best way to start our year is with biblical stewardship. If you're like me and like most other people, you probably set some goals for this year. For most of that, you probably had some financial goals. With that, you probably thought about some things you want to accomplish there, some, maybe some debt you want to pay down, or maybe some, uh, some savings you want to do. And tonight we're going to look at how this passage of scripture speaks to us about God's method and model for finance, biblical financial planning. We're going to see tonight how God blesses faith in the matter of biblical financial planning. We're going to see how as we invest our dollars with God, God enables those dollars to be stretched and to be used for His glory. I want you to see three things tonight about God working in the stretching of your dollars and mine. First of all, this evening, I want you to consider with me, by way of background, a holy doctrine. We want to look at the doctrine of biblical stewardship. It is a holy doctrine. It is a biblical doctrine. Now, when you hear the term stewardship, and I hear this a lot just kind of through as people talk, we imply, we hear people imply that stewardship is dealing with the management of our, of our resources, the management of our finances. And it is, but it's not just the management per se. It's not just the careful management or the careful watch care that we give of it, but it also includes the fact that God wants to realize whatever He's entrusted to us, He wants us to grow it. He wants it to be augmented. And I wrote in your notes that you'll see there tonight, the stewardship is the proper management and the usage of what God has entrusted to us, uh, His people for the growth and expansion of his work. Let me give you an example of unbiblical stewardship. There's a good friend of mine. He's actually preached in our church. He's, uh, he recently went home to be with the Lord. A good friend of mine that had a church that at one time had as many as 1,400 people in the church. 
and the church thrive and they went through building programs and the church grew and buildings of that nature. But after he retired from the pastorate, I stayed in touch with him and I kind of noticed that he didn't like talking about the church there. And he never said anything negative about the church, but he never liked talking about the church. I found out over time after a series of years that the church and the new pastor declined and declined and declined, declined. And uh, they and there's some things that they had promised this retired pastor that they couldn't uh, keep good on their promises on. And, and so finally I asked him, I said, Pastor, I said, let me just ask this question. I said, what happened there? And he told me a little bit what happened there. And basically the, the church from being a soul winning church, a non soul winning church, and that'll kill a church real quickly overnight there. And uh, just you know, need to say amen to that. Amen. And, uh, and so then I, I asked him, well, how are they sustaining themselves? I mean, the, the man's got a, a small staff there. How's they sustaining themselves? And this is what he said. He said, you know what they basically did? They took all the buildings and they started renting out to other churches and other people. And they take the rental income. And that's how they sustain themselves. Now, that might sound like a good financial idea. That's not God's model for financial planning for the church. God's model for the financial planning of the church is the church is to be sustained by the tithes and the offerings of his people. Okay, that's the biblical financial plan either. Okay, we don't go to the government for help. We don't ask for welfare. We don't present ourselves as a faith ministry and we need funds here and funds there and things like that. And we don't try to do all these different bingo games and stuff like that to 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 uh, bring in finances for the church. And we have to realize that what God has entrusted with us with, we're to be good managers of it, but we're to put it to good use. And as we put it to good use, God wants to see a good ROI or return on His investment. God wants to see that we're we're doing what we we can to the glory. To his glory there. Matthew 25, which we're not going to read tonight, but Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, is the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents is a very, is a very thorough explanation to us and to help us understand the matter of biblical stewardship. This man that was an owner entrusted, entrusted some of his assets to his servants. And he told them, he told them to take good care of those things. And what he wanted them to do was to grow it. Two of them grew it. One received five talents and he doubled it over. One received two talents. He doubled it over. One received one talent. And what he did was he buried and put it in the ground thinking that his, his master would be honored by that. God doesn't want us to bury what we have. God wants us to put it to use. It may involve taking some risk. It may involve stepping out by faith. But it's interesting that the ones who were acknowledged later on, they became rulers or leaders over much. And I'm saying that to you tonight because biblical stewardship is not an option. It is a mandate. It is a requirement that God has for us tonight. All of us are stewards in the sense God has blessed us. God's blessed you with health. God has blessed you with opportunities. God has blessed you with a job. God has blessed you with the opportunity to make money. God has blessed us so we understand what those financial resources were to put those financial resources to the glory of God. Later this month, I'll be going up to the state of Wisconsin to preaching a stewardship banquet for a great church, a wonderful church, a church that has gone through multiple stewardship banquets and things of that nature. And I asked the preacher, I said, Dr. Van Gelder, and I said, why do you need me? I said, yeah, you can preach that and, and you need that. He says, no, we like to bring a fresh voice in there to just kind of encourage the church about what God's doing in Heritage Baptist Church. And I want to tell you tonight, I'm just very thankful for a people here at Heritage Baptist Church from day one that have given biblically and have trusted God and have come through and have been, a, been honoring to God. And I'm thankful for that tonight. But we must remind ourselves as we start a new year, biblical stewardship is not an option. It is not a consideration. Biblical stewardship is a mandate. Biblical stewardship must be a conviction. We must realize, according to what it says there in, in Deuteronomy 8.18, that God gives us the power to acquire wealth. It is not your acumen. It is not your education. It is not your savviness, your ability. God has given every person the ability to acquire wealth. 
well. And whatever that status may be, whatever you've been blessed with, you need to take into account how big it is or how small it is, where to put it to good usage and work for the glory of God. Notice some things about this biblical doctrine. Number one, look with me in Genesis 2.15, and let's consider the beginning of biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship began at creation. <coughs> biblical stewardship began when God made Adam and put him in charge of the garden. Biblical stewardship begins by understanding all of creation belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But we are here to be God's stewards over that. And notice Genesis 2.15, what the Bible says. And the Lord God took the man and he put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now notice Adam was put in the garden of Eden, the most beautiful garden ever. He was to care for it. He was to cultivate it and he was to categorize everything. He gave a name to all the species. Now, if you don't like the name Aardvark, too bad. Adam gave the name Aardvark. Amen. If you don't like the name Elephant, it's too bad. Adam came up with that name. If you don't like the name Crocodile, too bad. I mean, Adam came with those names. He was a super intellectual man. He was the smartest man in all the world because he was the only man in the world that time. Amen. So when we consider all that tonight, we have to understand God put him in charge of those things and he was a good steward. By the way, here's how good a steward he was of it. When you categorize it, we're still using the same names. Amen. I mean, that's how God blessed what he was doing there. And so he was in charge of the land and the soil and all of those things. I mean, he was to care for it, the Bible says, and to dress it. We see the beginning of stewardship right there in the Garden of Eden. Listen, he wasn't to waste anything. He was to be very careful. He needed to know his species. You know, sometimes we, we don't give attention to details. Did you know God wants us to give attention to details? Yeah. I mean, look at Adam. He wasn't trained as a botanist. He wasn't trained as an agriculturist. But he knew all the species. He knew what he was doing. He knew the chemical, he knew the chemical components. He knew all those things. Why? Because he was to care for it and to dress it. It was God's garden there. And in the same, uh, the same manner, we need to look at the work of God here at Heritage Baptist Church. God wants us to take very good care of his church and he wants us to grow it. Notice we see the beginning, but notice in Proverbs 3 9, we see the basis for biblical stewardship. Now I like to turn to Proverbs 3 9 out of many scriptures and I'm going to give you some more tonight. But in Proverbs 3, 9, this is what Solomon said. And I think it's, it's, it's appropriate that the, 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 the wisest man of that time and one of the most, most wealthiest men of his time made this statement about biblical stewardship. He said, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all in increase. You know, when you read through Proverbs, you know, what I get this feeling is that he met a lot of tightwad people. Now, I'm, I'm OK with being I'm OK being economical, but there's something wrong when you squeeze the nickel to get the buffalo out of the nickel. Amen. Or you squeeze the penny to get the copper out of it. I mean, you know, I think he saw a lot of tightwad people to the place where, you know, men who were just so tightwad, they wouldn't spend any money to take care of their home. And they let their, their wives or children live in almost in poverty condition, you know. And, and I think he looked at that and he had to address some of these things. But I think worse than that, he started realizing that he had people come to him who had the audacity asking, well, why do I have to give an offering to the Lord? And why do I have to give my first fruits? And so Proverbs here in Proverbs 3, 9, he established in verses 9 and 10, the, the, the basis for biblical stewardship. He says, honor the Lord. Notice this, what? thy substance circle the word substance substance means all your accumulations substance means whatever growth you have on it that means that means your net worth that means your assets 
He says, honor the Lord with thy substance. And then he says, with the fruits, fruits of all the increase. Now, he's telling us two things of how to honor God through our giving. I'll talk about that in a minute here. Every believer, part of worship is to honor God. If you're new to the Christian faith and new to Heritage Baptist Church, listen, the, the giving part of a, of a service is a very important part. That is our opportunity to honor God by saying, Lord, thank you for blessing me. And this is what I'm giving back to show my worship of you. Listen, the moment we walk into church, we start the pro- worship process by greeting one another with a smile and shaking hands and giving of ourselves to someone else by saying, hey, it's so good to see you at church tonight. It's so good to have you here. That's why we make it a practice to shake hands a lot in church there and because we want people to feel welcome. We want people to feel like they can be encouraged by the shaking hand, but we must get out of our comfort zone to give of ourselves. The second place where we give in a service is when we start singing the hymns. And, you know, I, I'm thankful that this is a singing church, but I want to encourage you, let's make this year a year when we really sing out for the Lord. And we really get involved. And you know, one of the best things we do in a worship service is to sing out loud. And let me tell you tonight, some of you are music inclined. You ought to just make the time as Brother Vaughn and myself asked you to get involved to help us with special music. You ought to get involved with special music. That is an opportunity to be a blessing to God's people and to, to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Make sure it's a good joyful noise. So amen, you know, a joyful noise to the Lord that's honoring to him. But that's a giving opportunity. When we read the scriptures, that's a giving opportunity. When we take up the offering, that's a wonderful giving opportunity. That's where we can say what God has blessed, we put it back into the offering and say, Lord, thank you that I have something to give. You see, tonight we look at the beginning uh, here. The basis for this is found in he, uh, Proverbs 3, 9. Notice the idea of first fruits is brought up here. He says, and with the first fruits of all thy increase, the idea of first fruits is our first crops. Our first pickings, our first dollars of all financial gain is to be honoring to God by way of an offering. That includes increases, augmentation God gives you. He blesses you with a capital gain or with interest or whatever there. That's an increase. That is the first fruits of all thy increase. We're to give that back to the Lord in a categorization. And we find this, the basis for this, not only Proverbs 3, 9, but notice Exodus 23, 19. This is what God told Moses to tell the children of Israel. The first of the first fruits of thy land shalt thou bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Now God was giving them a vision for things to come. He was saying, listen, you're going to go in that promised land and you're going to have land and you're going to have farm and you're going to have farming and you're going to plant crops and you're going to plant uh, uh, vineyards. And he says, when those grapes grow and the wheat is threshed and all of those things, he says, you need to bring those first fruits into the house of God. Numbers 18 verses 12 to 13. And all the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat, the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord, them have I given thee. Did you catch the word, the best? First fruits are best. You know, people have this idea that they think the church is like a secondhand store, so we give our leftovers to God. No, we don't give our leftovers to God. We give our best to the Lord. We're to honor God with our substance and the first fruits of all our increase. The offering, the first fruit, is God's means for taking care of His servants and His work. Take some time this year to read through the books of Moses, Levit- from Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers, and how God gave, de- in Deuteronomy, how God gave detailed instructions of how the servants of God were to be taken care of by the first fruits and the offerings and the tithe and to read how God's work was to be taken care of by his people there. I mean, it convicts our hearts when we read that to realize God had a methodology in place there. Notice in Proverbs 3, 9, he not only talks about our first fruits, but also about our substance. You have to think about your substance is what you have. It could be an inheritance. It could be an investment gain. It could be a, it could be something of that nature, but your substance, what God has given you there. And so no, notice that tonight that we see that 
And when God calls us to participate in our giving and our offering, there are times when he wants us to go beyond the first fruit. He wants us to honor him with our substance. We see the beginning. We see the basis. Notice quickly tonight the breakdown in stewardship. Now, the breakdown is twofold. Outside of the first fruits, we have the tithe. And then notice later on, we have the offerings. Now, in the tithe, there's many verses we could look at, but tithe, the word tithe, basically means one-tenth. And here's what the Bible tells us in, in Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, today, the, the, the storehouse would be a barn back in those days. And in those days, when he's talking about the tithe, that was to referring to the, the temple. Today, the storehouse would be the church of the living God. Okay, the pillar and ground of truth. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. By the way, the storehouse is not the TV evangelist. That's why the universal church idea doesn't work there. The storehouse is not some other pastor who gets you on his mailing list and says, sends you a need that you need to respond to him. That is not the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church where your membership is at. Okay? So he says, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there should not be room enough to receive it. The tithe is to be brought into the house of God. Now, there's a systematic way we do that. The systematic way we bring the tithe into the house of God is according to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Notice, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God is prospering, that there be no gatherings when I come. Here's what he's saying there. You get to, you get to Friday and Saturday, and you take into account how God has prospered you. What went into your direct deposit? What was the gross on that? What investment gains did you have? What inheritance did you receive? What blessings did you get? Chinese New Year's is coming for a lot of the kids. They're going to get red envelope money. That's a gain, children. Amen? Yeah. And then you take an account, okay, as God has prospered you, all right? As God has prospered you, you set it aside when you come to the house of God on the first day, what's the first day of the week? Sunday, right? Okay. You, you bring it to the house of God. You're ready to give it to, give it to the Lord at that time. All right. So we have the tithe, but notice the offerings. And I want to draw your attention to second Corinthians nine verses seven to eight. Now, an offering is anything we give to the Lord over and above the tithe. And let me help you with some understanding about the offering tonight. Did you know when we study the matter of the offering in second Corinthians nine verse seven, eight, we, we have the principle of grace giving. The, the New Testament does not mention tithing at all. You say, Oh, good. Then I don't have to tithe. No, you don't have to tithe. But you have to give beyond the tithe. Because grace giving does not have a percentage or number attached to it. It says the Lord, as the Lord has touched your heart. And he works in your heart. One of the things we have to pray for every day is, Lord, deliver me from being a stingy Christian. We have to ask God, help me to have a, a faith vision for what you want to do. An offering is the work of God's grace in our heart. Grace me, involves giving. Grace involves love. Grace giving does not have a percentage or amount attached to it. It's what we give above the tithe. It's according to how God, every man purposes in heart. Everyone's different. The Bible talks about a spiritual gift of giving over in Romans chapter 12. Now, some people have, have this exorbitant ability to give and to give. They're giving of themselves and giving of things. And praise the Lord. 
Lord for giving people. But let me tell you tonight, every one of God's people need to examine ourselves in accordance with 2 Corinthians 8, 9 and 10. It is not just when we have faith promised missions or giving by faith opportunities. That's in the Bible. We're to do that all the time. He says, I would do you to wit of the grace of God that was bestowed upon the churches which are at Macedonia. There was a need and the church itself was in poverty. And yet they took an abundant uh, offering beyond what they were capable of. And they sent it to be given as part of the collection for the saints, the, the, the suffering saints down there. And he, and he was just saying, look at the example of, the, of these churches down at Macedonia. And he's saying there, there must be this giving uh, uh, spirit that we have. Notice in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 7 and 8. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency, all things may abound to every good work. Here's what he's saying there. Watch this. We consider what God wants us to do and a need is presented to us. And we let God's grace work in our heart, according to verse 7. And we start to think about it and pray over some numbers. And God puts a purpose in our heart. But He doesn't want us to do it begrudgingly. He wants us to do it out of a cheerful heart. How many understand tonight the word cheerful means hilarious? Is someone that is, that is just hilariously there to say, man, I can't wait to give. This is so great. You know, they're just excited about giving there. They're, they're kind of insane about their giving there, but they're just, they, they can't wait to pour something out. And then he says in verse eight, as you do that, God is able to make all grace abound. He makes that grace to abound you. So you're able to give beyond that. And that he says, listen, you've got more than sufficiency in everything that you do. God gives us that ability. We see the breakdown, but notice in Proverbs 3.10, we see the blessing. He says in Proverbs 3.10, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You know what saying there? You always have enough. Now that we have enough, God's going to surprise you and eat your presses. And he has the idea of a wine press as, it's, as, 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 the, as the grapes are being, being trodden on. He says fresh new juice is being produced. He says there are fresh new opportunities God gives us there. Your barns will be filled with plenty. You'll always have enough. You'll burst out with new wine. You'll be blessed with other increased growth opportunities. You know what Heritage Baptist Church has proven to God? We've proven to God that we're willing to step out and trust God by faith for every opportunity he gives us here. We're in our third building campaign. We've been given to faith. Faith promised missions for 19 years. Each of these are a demonstration of God's grace working on all over the house. I want to encourage you tonight. Get involved in stewardship. It's a mandate. It is not an option. It should be a conviction, not a consideration. Examine tonight. Are you tithing off your gross? Examine tonight in biblical financial planning. Are you, are you involved in the offerings of the church? Look at the offering envelope and understand there are different opportunities whereby we can participate. God knows where you're at and God works in purpose in your heart that that need can be met. I'm just saying tonight, prove God because he says in Malachi 3.10, if you prove me, I'll pour you out a blessing out of heaven that you cannot contain. We see the we see tonight a holy doctrine. But let's get to our passage tonight in Second Kings. With that in mind, let's get right into our subject tonight. Notice we see a holy doctrine, but we also see an honorable donor. The story here tonight is about a donor, someone who gives a donation. We're looking at someone who's giving. And that's the first thing that comes right off the page of Scripture there in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 42. The Bible says, There came a man from Bela Shalisha, and he brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley, full loaves of corn, the husk thereof. Now, the first question that might come up to somebody is, well, wait a minute. This guy has his first fruits he has. He wasn't a rich man. He was just a common man. I'll show you that in a minute. And uh, he didn't bring it to the temple of Jerusalem. 
And it could be because of that moment of time that there was some maybe some concern on his part as to just some of the spiritual apostasy going on throughout the land and especially in Israel there. And uh, this man was close in proximity, close in proximity of getting over here to Elisha over here at Gilgal than he was at the temple. So whatever it may have been, God touches man's heart. But understanding this, let's go back and understand what led this man, what inspired this man to give. Well, the first thing we notice, we'll go to verse 38 and we see a dearth. Notice in verse 38, there's economic trouble. There's a dearth. There's a famine in the land. And the Bible says, Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. A dearth is when there's no rain. When there's no rain, the, the, dry, the ground starts to become parched and dries up, and crops die off. You don't have crops. You, you, have, you have no food. Your animals have nothing to eat. You have no food. There's starvation. Where there's starvation, you have economic failure. There's a loss of jobs, and there's hunger, a number of those things like that. And in verse 38 tells us, the situation, the dearth, even affected Elisha and the school of the prophets. It said, Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the lamb, and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, sit on the great pot and seeth pottage for the sons of the prophets. I mean, they were just at this place. They were, they were just basically down to their, their minimum. I mean, they didn't really have anything. And these, these sons of the prophets were learning faith. They were learning how to trust God. And Elisha was teaching them how to trust God. And we read in verses 38 to 41, now God meets their needs. But we must understand there is a dearth. And the meal that was prepared here, which we'll come back to another time, was a meal sufficient for one day. It was a pot of just soup or a pot of soup or a pot of stew, whatever it may have been. Maybe it was soup that was probably there. But it just took care of them for one day. God met their need. He took care of them. But the dearth was still ongoing. And so now we get to verse 42 and we see this dearth here and and this man comes down from Baal of Shalisha down to Elisha, down to Gilgal. Now, this dearth, as we look at it, it speaks to us about this application. Sometimes we face shortages in inadequacies. Sometimes there's more month than there's money. Sometimes there's more days than we have dollars. Sometimes the debt seems to scare us. There are times when we wonder, how is this going to ha- accomplish? Maybe one spouse loses their job. Or maybe something happens there and we're a little bit concerned. We're anxious. Or maybe we get this bill out of nowhere and we try to fight it and get rid of it, but we don't know what to do with it and, or something we didn't plan for. And let me just remind you tonight, as we face those situations where there's shortages and inadequacy, those are wonderful learning opportunities for us to exercise faith and watch God work in our lives. Never look at it as a, as a situation where there's a setback and that, that God's forsake you. Look as an opportunity where you can take that piece of paper where you've got that notice and put it on the floor, bow on your face before God and say, God, I need you to rise and do something great for us here today. Don't look at your dearth or shortage as a problem, but look as an opportunity for God to do something great for you. So we see a dearth. Those sons of the prophets were probably wondering before this man came, what's going to happen tomorrow? What are we going to eat for tomorrow? We fit, we ate up this this pot of soup there. We rationed out to maybe about one little cup per person. And that was enough to fill our belly for today. But what about tomorrow? And we have to understand tonight that they were facing a dearth. And at the right moment, the right time, God sent this man from Baal of Shalisha to them. So we see this dearth. But notice in verse 42, this man of Baal of Shalisha brings a donation. Now, we don't have any knowledge if this man had communication with, with, with the sons of the prophets or with Elisha about that, but we do know this. He knew there was a dearth. He knew those prophets of God needed to be fed. He knew these were young men that needed to trust in God. And he knew that he had something God had blessed him with and he brought it to them. And so notice we read here in verse 42, this man brings to the man of God of his first fruits. Of those first fruits, the first thing we notice are 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn and the husk thereof. Now, this man, if you want, barley was the common man 
man's food. It was a staple for them, you know, just like rice, rice is and bread. It basically, was a, it was a common staple. We read about barley over and over again in the Bible. It was a common staple. Uh, we read about the, this uh, about this man that he, he had some barley and, and so he made some barley loaves. Now, when you think of a loaf, probably you might think of a, a, a you know a loaf of bread like that. But the, the, the size of a barley loaf was not larger than a common common muffin for us today. It was very small. And a, muffin, a barley loaf or muffin would be considered, if you would, uh, basically sufficient for one man's meal for the day. And so typically in those days, they would ration their food and you had one barley loaf, that would be your meal for the day. And so this man bought 20 barley loaves. You might think of it this way. He prepared and made 20 days worth of food. So that was food that would have gone on his table that he brought to the sons of the prophets. It wouldn't feed all hundred of them, but he was moved out of compassion and concern. I'm going to bring it. He brought 20 days worth of food of both barley loaves and some full ears of corn he brought. And however the man of God thought to distribute it, he said, I'm going to leave it to the man of God. That's not for me to worry about. That's not for me to calculate. What I'm responsible to do is God has blessed me and prospered me and to bring it over there. So this man comes and he brings his donation. This man brings the best that he had. This man gives the equivalent of 20 days of meal. This man gave with no strings attached. He didn't say, if you, if I give this to you, would you put my name somewhere where you have a building program? He didn't say that. He just came and brought it. In fact, he's an anonymous. We don't even know this man's name. He gave because there was a big need. He gave to be a blessing. Watch. This man walked 15, 10 to 15 miles to go from Baal Shalisha over there to Gilgal to bring this offering to the man of God. <clears throat> I mean, this man was intent to being a blessing there. Now, the question we have to ask tonight as we look at this man and his donation, uh, are you a blessing? Are you giving? Are you a tither? Would you start tithing? Are you participating in faith promise mission? Have you kept your promise to give on a monthly basis, weekly basis, the faith promise? Will you participate in faith promise mission? Are you participating in our giving by faith offering for the building? If not, would you participate? Have you considered and thinking about, according to 2 Corinthians 9, a participating in this special offer we're doing for the furnishing? You see, God doesn't look at it from the mount, from the standpoint, you know, that he's got money and she doesn't and she's got money. He doesn't. God looked at it from the standpoint from the, as we purpose in our heart there. And so this man, for whatever reason, God touched this man's heart from Bela Shalisha, and he comes down and prepares the equivalent of 20 days meal, 20 barley loaves, and full ears of corn to give to the man of God to distribute as, as best he could. And so Elisha gets this, 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 this offering for this man. And of course, they, Elisha's been leading the sons of the prophets in prayer and consideration of where our need's going to come from, how God's going to meet it. And notice verse 42. The offering is given, and then the man of God, Elisha, says, Give unto the people that they may eat. Elisha didn't take it as thinking that was for him. He received it because it was to be given back to the work of the Lord. He says, Give unto the people that they may eat. Here's what he's saying. Our men, I've been teaching them to pray for God to send bread from heaven. I've been teaching our men to trust God. God's provided our need. He said in verse 20, verse 42, Give to the people that they may eat. There was a command. The food came in a much needed time. He just basically said, Give it to the men that they may eat. He didn't put fanfare with it. He didn't make it complicated. He didn't ask for a committee meeting for them to figure out how are we going to divide this up. He just said, listen, God's going to take care of our need. You know something tonight? Listen to me tonight, church. As the older we get and the farther along we get and the more educated we are and the more analytical we be, we can overanalyze the situation and take something that's very simple and overcomplicated. Giving was never meant to be complicated. The work of God was never meant to be complicated. And the moment we make it, we overcomplicate things and overanalyze things to where we want to become the financial analyst over the situation, then we exclude God out of it. We're basically saying we are smarter than God. Hey, do you understand something tonight? We are not smarter than God. Well, we see 
the dearth and we see the donation. Notice in verse 41, 43, we see a doubter. Just like every church has generous donors, every church has skeptical doubters. The servitor said, what? What? You've got to be kidding. That's why I think it's Gehazi, because he spares all the same resemblance of Gehazi here. What? You want me to serve a hundred men with 20 little biscuits? Pillsbury biscuits? You know, the one, the little man of the dough, you press his tummy and it bounces out, you know? Elisha, come on. I know you're a man of God, but you need some sense, man. You can't feed a hundred people with 20 little biscuits. It's not possible. And look at these little ears of corn. I could eat all those by myself. He was probably thinking that, you know. How are we going to do this? This is not possible. He was asking for a committee meeting. He wanted someone to veto it. He says, what? We can't do that. It's not possible. Listen, this man was a doubter. He had no faith in God. Elisha said, I believe God's going to take care of our need. And that's what he's ingraining to these sons of the prophets. Who, by the way, Gehazi also was a son of the prophet. But he happened to get elevated. He had the grace and mercy of God to serve as an intern on the staff there of, of, of Elisha Baptist Church. Amen. He got on the staff of Elisha Baptist Church. But he had no faith. He didn't see God working through this matter there. And he says, what? This is not possible. And now, among a hundred other young sons of the prophets, he's casting this skeptical the skepticism and doubt that God is not able to take care of their needs. His doubt, his doubting would say this. What? That can't be from God. If God was to meet our need, we'd have a hundred biscuits, not twenty biscuits. It was kind of like the attitude that the apostles had. And the little boy had five little five loaves and two little fishes, right? And one of the apostles said, What are these among so many? I'll tell you what, tonight, this past year, I've had little kids come into the office. Give me an envelope with a dollar in it. It's a pastor. I saved this money. This is for the building program. Let me tell you what, that's as precious. That's as precious as any offering that any adult in this room has given. Those two little girls came up to me at Christmas time. We need 150000 for the furnishings. Pastor, we made some Christmas cards and we sold them. And I didn't get into about making merchandise of God's house. Amen, you know, but. Because they weren't doing it for themselves. They said, they said, the girls wanted us to give this to you. I said, can I ask you how much is in it? They said, $20. They had this big smile on their face. And this is a big smile on their face. I said, you know, bless your heart. That is such a blessing. That's so, and that, by the way, that did encourage my heart that I needed it that day. I had a bad morning that morning. <laughs> I just thank the Lord. That just so encouraged my heart that day. I want to tell you, man, that just, this man has such a skeptical, doubtful attitude. He said, you want me to embarrass myself? I'm taking 20 little biscuits and these few ears of corn to feed these hundred hungry men? He demonstrated a skeptical spirit instead of a servant spirit. You know, it's kind of interesting. You notice verse 43, we're told that he was a servitor. You know, he was out of his place to question Elisha on this offering. 
He was out of his place to question how it was to be distributed. Yeah. He was a servant, not a CEO, but he thought he was a CEO. And he wanted to question what's going on there. And he's saying this in public and he's stirring up some people there. And instead of saying, I believe, he says, I don't believe. You know, a doubtful spirit, we have a doubtful spirit in the midst of a giving campaign or in the midst of tithing or a difficult time. A doubtful spirit is a slap in the face of Almighty God. A doubtful spirit is, is a poison that can sp- kill a spirit of enthusiasm. A doubtful spirit is what makes people walk in circles like the children of Israel did and go nowhere. A doubtful spirit quenches the Holy Spirit from working. Let me tell you, we have a doubtful spirit like that. Don't even think their prayers can get answered. But notice we see a demand. I appreciate Elisha's spirit that helped me as I studied this. Elisha heard the same rabble from this man before. He heard this man say before, you know, he told that woman when she dropped to the, her knees, her face and grabbed the ankles of the prophet and he thrust her aside and, he, and the prophet said, leave her alone. And later on, he gave him his staff and he's tra- challenging him to learn how to pray and have faith in God. He gave him his staff. He says, I want you to go ahead of me and you take that staff and lay it on the child and wait for it to see what's going to happen. He didn't pray. He didn't believe God. He just wanted to get it over with. He saw this kind of stuff before. And, you know, I can imagine that his patience was wearing very thin with this, this servitor, very, very thin with Gehazi's terrible spirit there. But in the midst of all that, he had a great spirit instead and he didn't let that phase him. And notice Elisha's attitude there. He just went back to what the requirement of the priority was. He says, Give to the people that they may eat. And then he gave them the word of God. And a lot of times as we start pouring cold water on the fire. And a lot of times as we let our doubts get in the way. Because that's part of human nature. Every now and then I promise you God will always give his man. And give the situation a verse of scripture to validate the giving reason. That's why if you go back on our giving for the giving by faith banquet, I gave you messages over that period of time that God gave us permission to go ahead with this building. Because Elisha, every, Nehemiah and others, every building program that ever you find in the Bible, God always gave his permission to that building program. And where God gives his permission, we're to get behind it and we're to subsidize it there. And so we look at this passage of scripture and here's what, Eli, here's what Elisha said. Given to the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord. He says, I'm not the one that this is not my idea. This is God's idea. They shall eat and shall leave thereof. You know, he said, okay, servitor, just listen to me because this is not for discussion. You distribute, they're going to eat and there'll be more than they, there'll be leftovers. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was a servitor with that kind of doubtful spirit, I'd be thinking, I would say, what again? What are you talking about? You mean leftovers? I could eat the 20 biscuits by myself, right? But you know, God had a purpose in this. He said, it's going to get done. These people are going to get fed. It's going to happen. He says, they shall eat and they shall leave thereof. Notice as we close tonight, we see a holy doctrine and an honorable donation. But notice as we close tonight, verse 44, would you notice the heavenly demonstration? With great skepticism and probably anger that maybe he thought Elisha embarrassed him, which he did not. He said it before them. So in other words, he served every one of those hundred sons of the prophets. He said it before them. And notice what the Bible says. He said it before them. And they did eat. Now, the word eat means they ate to the full. They were satisfied. 
They did eat and left thereof. Notice, according to the word of the Lord, there is enough food for everybody. Gehazi witnessed in front of his eyes the very same thing the 12 apostles witnessed as they were distributing there saying, hey, wait a minute. There's more. And there's more. And there's more. And it's not running out. And notice there was leftovers. You remember the story of the, the, the story of the, of the, of the feeding of the multitudes. How many baskets full of fragments did they collect? Twelve. There were leftovers there. And as we close tonight, notice in this heavenly demonstration, the first thing we see is a validated promise. God fulfilled his word. They did eat and left thereof. God settled it and that settled it. That morning, Elisha, while he was reading his Bible and having his morning devotions, that morning God came down upon his devotions and told him, Hey, Elisha, I'm going to take care of them again today. A man from Baal of is going to come. He's going to have 20 barley loaves and a few years of corn. And all I want you to do is to feed the people and there'll be leftovers thereof. He already got that. He got a word from God even before the, before the matter came to him, even before this man Annabelle and Shalisha came. God, God gave him that word, what he wanted to, what he wanted to do. He had a validated promise. Listen, God never fails us according to his word. Amen. Then notice we see a valuable principle. Go back to verse 42 and we're done. Bela Shalisha means a thrice great Lord. Thrice means three times. Triple. How many said triple, right? Triple is better than single, amen? Three is better than one, right? I'm talking money, okay? You could imply a lot of things, but I want to just clarify that for a minute, okay? Qualify that, okay? Having three times your money is better than one times your money. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, you can say amen to that. Studying this for a little bit, some students of Scripture imply that the word three, the number three, also implies multiplication in the Bible. Tripling over. Baal of Shalisha's man of Baal of Shalisha could be translated the Lord of multiplication. One man had his devotions. Got a word from God. A hundred men were praying, Lord, meet our need. A man ten miles away was praying, taking care of what little things he could he could bring in. And he prepared 20 barley loaves and a few ears of corn. The Lord spoke to him and says, you know what? I know you need to eat, but I have 100 servants down there that need some food. I want you to walk 10 miles with these 20 loaves and watch what I'm going to do. And listen, the Lord of the multiplication took care of all the rest. They ate thereof and had leftovers thereof. Charles Spurgeon trying to raise money for an orphanage that he had. It was a very needy orphanage, a lot of kids. He went on to the coastline of England, if you've ever been there, to the area, the city of Bristol, England. Bristol is a shipping port. Bristol, England is very famous for the place where George Mueller was, where he had his orphanages. And Charles Spurgeon, as he went there, was invited to preach in three different Baptist chapels in the city of Bristol. And his whole intent was going there was to preach there. Whatever offering they would give him, he was going to come back with that and give it back. They would use it to help the, or to finance the orphanages that God had, had led him to start there in, in London, England. He preached there. He got, he received offerings. In fact, the offerings were much more than what he expected. In fact, he got 300 pounds was the size of the offering. 300 pounds of the offering, which was more than what he needed for to take care of that orphanage for the kids. And, and, uh, that night after he'd gotten that, the last, the last chapel he preached and he got the offering, he was just excited, thankful to God for that. And he 
got on his knees and he started praying and thanking God for those offerings. And God, thank you that you met the need for these orphanages and so forth like that. And as he was praying, he just felt this holy disturbance in his heart. And God was moving in his heart and telling him, telling him this. He said, Charles, I don't want you to take that money and put it in the orphanage. And he's thinking, God, what are you talking about there? And God started pressing his heart that, that George Mueller, his friend across town, needed that money. He said, Lord, George Mueller, but he can pray down that stuff here. He said, he said Lord, I came here to preach and I raised that offering. Our orphanages need that. And he, he was just, he was, he was travailing in his soul with God that night about that money. And God was telling him, he says, listen, Charles, I want you to take that to George Mueller's orphanages and I want you to give that money, the 300 pounds to George Mueller. He needs it right there. Well, Charles, Charles Spurgeon, great man of faith, the great man of God, didn't really understand what God was doing, but he knew very clearly that God was speaking to him. And that night, it was late at night, he just made his way over there to cross town to go to George Mueller's, uh, Mueller's place. He went there, where, like most people did, to the back of the house where, they, where you would go to, to, to find Mr. Mueller. And he knocked on the back of the door, and the man that opened the door happened to be George Mueller. George Mueller opened the door, it was late at night, probably about 10, 11 o'clock at night, and he was surprised to see Charles Spurgeon. He said, he said, Dr. Spurgeon, what are you doing here? He says, man, it's so good to see you here. He said, George, may I come for just a minute? He said, sure you can. He says, listen, I came here to Bristol to preach. I was invited by three Baptist chapels here in town to preach for them, and I just decided whatever offering they would raise and give to me, I was going to use it for the uh, orphanages that, that God had led me to start there in London, England. And, but while I was praying tonight and giving God the glory and thanks for it, God started speaking to my heart, and he pressed on me that, that this 300 pounds that I, that I was given, that I need to give it to you for the work that you have for the orphanages. George Mueller said, Charles, you won't believe this. Before you got here, I've been on my knees all night praying about that. The need that I need, needed right now for, this, or for my orphanage is 300 pounds that I have to have for tomorrow morning. He said, God did send you here. And there was such a happiness between both of them. They embraced each other and hugged and they got on their knees and prayed and thanked the Lord for it. Well, after a little while, Charles Spurgeon went back to his went back to his place and thought overnight. He said, Lord, I don't know how you can provide for us, but I, I know for sure that you sent me there to George Mueller. And Charles Spurgeon got on a got on a, a, a transportation and made his way back to London, England. As he did so. He greeted his employees and all the people that are staffed there. And he made his way to his office, which was way in the back. If you've ever been to Spurgeon's Tabernacle, his, his office would have been way in the back there of the of the tabernacle there. As he did so, he saw an unopened envelope on on his desk here. He got the envelope and he opened up the envelope and inside was the was uh, this amount of money and it happened to be double the 300 pounds that he gave to Charles Spurgeon. And someone while he was away had written him and says, Mr. Mr. Spurgeon or Pastor Spurgeon, God impressed in my heart that you needed some money for the orphanage and I'm, I'm not sure what it is but God impressed on my heart to give the equivalent 600 pounds and there was the money that he needed and then over and above that, that God provided and here's my thought for you tonight God will stretch your dollars we're faithful to God and our stewardship. God will stretch our dollars. We do what we're supposed to. Let God do the stretching of the dollars. God will do more than we could ever anticipate. Let's get out of from the planning. And there is a part of plan. Don't get me wrong. There's this part where we need to be analytical. And we need to plan a little bit. But there comes a point in time when things just don't match up. And we don't know what to do. And there's a need. We just have to trust God that he's going to work in your life. I want to encourage you as a member of the church, attending the church, as you participate, you're giving, you grow in grace that matter. Just trust God to meet your needs. I realize we are in most, one of the most economically challenged areas of all the world when you think about it. Just the cost of living and all that. And, and I, I tell people that some, for some of our newer members, it takes them 18 to 24 months before they, they really get up to speed in understanding biblical tithing and giving. But those who do, they are testimony of God blessing them and watch what God's doing in their lives. I just want to encourage you tonight. Start the new year right to being a good steward of God. God's resources. Don't forget the beginning. 
and the basis and the breakdown and the blessing. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thy increase. Look at this man here from Baalish and use this as example of someone who got touched by God. The people were fed and there was more than enough left over. God will take care of the need. He'll meet your need. He'll meet the need of the church. Father, tonight we pray that you'd help move in our hearts about this matter so basic as our stewardship but realizing tonight that, Lord, you bless us that we might give and give abundantly to the work of God. And, Lord, time doesn't allow, but I think of so many of our people, especially those who've been the church for long periods of time, they have trusted you. They have been blessed of you. They have they have done what they should. And God, that, that, and that Lord, you still provide over and above that. And tonight we ask this evening first that you help us to examine our conscience. If we're not tithing, if we're tipping instead of tithing, if, Lord, we're just, just putting money in the offering without considering the the, the base minimum, Lord, convict our hearts tonight to do the right thing. Help us to get on board to be biblical in our breakdown of participating in the tithing and the offerings. Those are required of the Lord. And may God, you do a work of grace in our heart that we would see how the abundance of our heart that you're able to bless and use us. Help us to be financially prudent and financially wise and used of God. Father, bless tonight as we consider the, the invitation that maybe we need to increase in our faith. Maybe, dear God, there's a doubtful spirit that, Lord, that you've convicted us about. Maybe we have the spirit of Gehazi, Lord, where we're saying what? And, Lord, we don't have faith in God or faith in the work of God and Father deliver us from being skeptical uh, doubters and help us dear God to be servant givers and Lord to honor you with our giving and to, and, and to trust you with things and not to take into account God last but everything is God first and to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that all these things be added to us and help us examine tonight that where our treasure is there will our heart be also and Father to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and this evening Lord we, we, that we would give and shall be given to us and Lord to consider that there is that man that that uh, that that uh, that giveth and there's much increase and as we will put those scriptures in the notes tonight and I ask this evening that you'd work and impress on all of our hearts the importance of being uh, liberal givers to the Lord the Bible says the liberal soul shall be made fat please have your way in this invitation time that we would just get out of our comfort zone and be used of God in a great way bless the invitation time we pray now in Jesus name let's stand your heads bowed eyes closed you want to come tonight whatever God impressed your heart about your giving Lord, maybe tonight you have to catch up with the Lord, but whatever God's impressed her, would you do that tonight? Would you step out by faith and say, God, what do you want me to do? I mean, think about all that we spend and we do. How does God speak in you tonight about your giving and your participation? Are you afraid to be in faith promise? Are you afraid to step out in giving by faith? Are you even tithing? And I'm not saying that in a condemning way. I'm just encouraging and challenging us tonight to, to realize through what great opportunities God gives us to serve. And would you do that tonight? Many have come. Would you come tonight? What a great story tonight on financial stewardship. It's the proper management and usage of what God has entrusted to us so that his work would grow. Let's grow the work of God. Let's say, Lord, I believe in your plan. I believe in God's financial plan for his church. I believe in God's financial plan for the finance of his church and taking care of his work and the servants of God. I believe in what God wants us to do. Would you do that tonight? Father, there are many endeavors you want us as a church to involve ourselves in for the sake of the gospel father find us faithful find us faithful should jesus come tonight we're found faithful to the lord thank you for a people as i look across this room that are faithful lord wherever we're lagging only you know and we know we pray tonight we'd step up and be like that person solomon says tonight to honor the lord with our substance and with the first fruits of all our increase and so tonight, I pray that with the blessing attached, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, help us not just to limit it to our finances, but stewards of our opportunities, stewards of our voices and stewards of our health, steward of our years. 
Lord, help us to multiply and grow the work of God. Thank you. You're the Lord who multiplies over and over and over again. Have your way tonight, we pray. Thank you for the good spirit this evening in our church. Prepare us for things to come. We ask this of you in Jesus' name. Amen.